Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you today. And uh, we're going to begin this morning's lesson with a, a special video, a mini movie, about our brothers and sisters in Mexico. Uh, and this is a very sobering, eye-opening video. So prepare yourselves. But it's reality. Not too far from where we live, people lived in fear. And we have an opportunity on June the 12th to support our sister churches. 28 churches in the Republic of Mexico uh, are counting on us to help them out. The majority of their financial support comes from themselves. But they are uh, given an opportunity to come to conferences like this weekend, uh, the Youth and Family Conference, because of our support. And uh, as you saw, the youth ministry there in Monterey is being helped out by the church in Dallas and is producing fruit and doing great things. But really just want to see this video for us so we can open our hearts and see the reality of what uh, thousands of brothers and sisters that live in Mexico are living through right now, today, in Mexico. So let's watch. Alguna célula de delincuencia organizada. El armamento que ustedes escuchan en este momento.
So you get uh, you get an idea of what's happening. We're going to post the whole video on our website, but uh, I don't know if you caught the very beginning of the video. But in the last three years, thirty thousand people have been murdered in the country of Mexico. Way more than all the wars that the United States Armed Forces have been involved in. And it is a very serious situation. The infrastructure and the justice system is completely upside down. And as you hear, as Roberto and Sonia describe, uh, their children live in a risk of going to school, practicing their sports, and they have to lay down on the ground because there's gunfire going on around them. And this is all over the Republic of Mexico. And so obviously they need our prayers, but they need our support. And today we're going to continue our, our, uh, our service and our series on Big Church. And, you know, I don't know if you 
appreciate the country that you live in. But hopefully when you see these images, you'll appreciate that you can walk out here today, go home, and know that you're safe. And it's a tremendous blessing to live here in this country. And we need to be grateful for it. And we have a tremendous opportunity. But it's amazing to me that although we live in such a safe place, what little things create fear in our lives. And so today as a church, we're going to talk about being big and being bold. And our series on big church is not that we're a big church, but rather the concept of church in God's eyes is really big. What He wants to do with His church, generation after generation. And uh, Laura did a great job, didn't she, in, in singing? And there's a, there's a purpose. There's a purpose she's up here singing. We are a generational church. We are a diversified church, racially, in all aspects. That's what God wants. He wants diversity in His church because He wants to see everybody have the opportunity to get right. It's a big plan. But I don't know about you, uh, what comes to mind when you think of church? You know, when it comes to mind, when I was a little kid, we used to sit in church and with my family, and, and I remember getting pinched by my mom because I was carrying on with my brother. And I remember constantly at church, we always had to be really quiet. You couldn't talk in church, you had to be really quiet, and you couldn't carry on. And uh, even in one situation, a friend of mine, he shared with me, his dad used to practice this thing called a, br- a brain duster. And it was a hard flick to the back of the head with the big finger, and, and it literally would, would, would get all the dust off of your brain. It would... And this would go on in church. You know, some of us in our experience in church, we were growing up, remember being bored to death. You know, just... Oh, I can't wait till this is over. Maybe some of you are saying that right now. <laughs> what time is this going to be over? I got to go. I got to watch the Masters. Hey, it'll be there when you get there. It's only six hours of golf. But you know, a lot of things come to mind. But the reality is, more than likely, what we remember and what we know about church, it's a far cry from what it was intended to be here in the Bible. And that's the great thing about having the Scriptures is we can go back and see what the real church, the local church in Jerusalem was like in the beginning. And, you know, men have died so that we could have this. So that we cannot get sucked into this idea that church is this way or that way, but we can renew and we can revive what church was intended to be. And that's our intent. That's why we're doing this series. To revive us, to renew us, to get us thinking about God's intention and God's plan. What was the the local church like in Jerusalem when it was first started? Well, we know it was a movement. And if you know anything about movements, movements do what? They move. Right? They don't stay still. And what was happening in Jerusalem, in the local church, when it began, it was moving. And it was heated. It was exciting. And the church wasn't about a teaching, like it may think, we may think today, the local church was not about a teaching, it was about an event. And we sing about it, and we're going to celebrate it in two weeks. But the sad thing is, most churches only celebrate the resurrection once a year. 
For the local church, it was the event. It was all they talked about. And we're going to see that in action. The local church was not an institution. It did not begin in tradition. There were no Bibles in the early church. And there were no buildings. It was not hierarchical in its leadership structure. But it had a very clear message about Jesus and about the resurrection. And I hope today, uh, as you listen, you're going to be excited to, to hear. And, and what happened in those beginning months, the beginning year, about a thousand, a hundred thousand people flooded the streets of Jerusalem to hear the message. And it, the whole city of Jerusalem in that first year was turned completely upside down. Many historians say that there were close to uh, 10,000 members in the church. The Bible tells us in the first couple of years that there were 5,000 men, not including men, uh, women and children, but there were 5,000 men that were a part of the early church. And they estimate, historians, scholars estimate that the city of Jerusalem had about 100,000 in population. So it was 10% of the population, some scholars estimate, were members of the early church. And you know, one thing about religion, and this was the message of all religions have rules. All of them. But Jesus came on the scene and He said, I am the solution to the dilemma. I am the answer. I am the way and the truth and the light. Why? Because He offered forgiveness for all those broken rules. No one else taught that. Every religion teaches about, you've got to obey the rules. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. And Jesus is saying, yes, you need to do what's God's will and you need to obey, but I'm going to give you forgiveness if you fall. I'm going to forgive you and give you a new beginning if you've made a mistake. I don't know what your life was like, but you know, when I was 21 years old, I'd made a pretty big mess in my life. And the message of Jesus meant so much to me that I could start over. That I could learn again how to live my life. And forgiveness meant everything to me. Because I'd hurt a lot of people. And the one person that I hurt most was my Father in Heaven. I knew it. I didn't know a lot about the Bible, but my conscience told me I am doing a lot of damage in my relationship with God. And so Jesus came to fix that. Opening day, as we talked about, what happened on opening day? 3,000 people that very first day. It took all day to get all those people baptized. In one day. They went from 120 members to 3,120 members in one day because of the message. So it was hot. Soon after that, as I shared, 5,000 men. It was explosive what was happening in the church in Jerusalem. And Peter and John, they were arrested. Kind of going back over what we talked about a few weeks ago. They were arrested and they were set free. And they still smelled like jail. You know how, you know, when you people get out of jail, they, they still have that, that, that look and that smell. They still smelled like jail. They went back together and met with the rest of the disciples. And they prayed a prayer. You remember what we did a few weeks ago? Those of you who are here, we prayed that prayer. And this is the prayer that they prayed in verse 29 and 30. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Didn't boldness get them in trouble? Here they are praying for more, more boldness. And then they said, and, they, and their prayer, stretch out your hand, 
heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. As a country today, would you say we're bold? Boy, we are getting dumbed down and numbed out. Our biggest concern today in this country is we don't want to offend anyone. Right? What were they praying for? They weren't concerned about offending people. They were concerned about the message. They knew when they, they understood what was at stake. If people don't hear this, they're not going to have forgiveness. They're not going to have hope. And what will they live for? So today we're going we're gonna to amp up our, our boldness. The purpose of our lesson today is to amp it up, our boldness. Okay, because we've got to come to grips with who we are as a nation. And I've got to confess, you know, when I was going through this lesson and I'm seeing the, the apostles and seeing their boldness, I had, to, I had to face up. See, I am not bold like they were. And I need to amp up my boldness. So I hope today that you will see that same thing. So what's all the fuss about? Why are people so afraid here in this country? You know, we, we live in a, in a place where it's amazing. It's a, one of the safest countries in the world. Did you know that? The United States of America. If you think we got problems here, you have not lived a day outside the United States. Just take a little drive a few hours down south. And then you'll understand what fear is all about. But we live in one of the safest countries in the world, and we live in one of the safest areas, East San Gabriel Valley. You know, we, we don't have serious problems here. You know, when we live in a place where we wear helmets, we won't let children go out on the street riding a bike without a helmet. And we've got to have seatbelts on, and you've got to have insurance, lawyers for everything. We have, an, we have an obsession with being safe. And you can tell by, you know, our prayer life. You know, we go on a trip, God, please keep me safe. And then people in other countries, they go, what are you talking about? Look at your roads. Look at your highways. They're safe. You don't need God to keep you safe. You live in a safe place. And you think about... You know, and, and we need to pray those prayers. It's okay to pray those prayers, but sometimes we don't realize. People in other countries, they ride in the back of dump trucks. They ride on public transportation, hanging out. I remember in Brazil, you know, there was no more room on the bus. We all we packed in there like sardines, and people would hang out the door with one foot in and the rest of their body hanging out. This is public transportation. It was not safe, you know, at all. I remember walking in Mexico as a pedestrian, and I, maybe Roberto was with me. We were walking down the street, you know, and I'm talking, you know, involved in this conversation, and I think I'm in California again, and, you know, and I, I step off the curb, and a brother grabs my shoulder. Zoom! A bus goes right in front of me. I guess pedestrians don't have the right of way in Mexico. <laughs> Yes, it was a near-death experience. Imagine going down to help the church and get hit by a bus. When you go down there, yes, you need to pray. Bless, 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 help, help, help. Bless, 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 help, help, help. But not here. What we need 
is we need to deal with our fear. Is it real? And we need to grow in our boldness. That's because people need to hear what we have. And they need to know about what we have. And we have the least to be afraid of here in the United States. And therefore, we need to be the boldest. You know, God has blessed this country. And we're going to talk about that this summer. I'm excited about a series we got coming up. You know, uh, One Nation Under God. And worldwide, so you know, the United States, and this isn't a prideful statement. There are countries that observe this country and they say, so what's so big and bad about the United States? Why do they get all the blessings? Why is their economy so good? Why is it so safe? Well, there's a reason. If you want to know the reason, you've got to come back in the summer. But we have the least. We're so blessed. But all these blessings have dumbed us down. And the littlest things make us afraid as a country. I say we because here we are. And today we're going to look at, you know, the what-ifs of our fears. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen if you tell somebody about your faith? Well, they might not like me anymore. And what if I can't play golf with them anymore? What if they don't invite me to play poker with them anymore? What if we can't go have chips and salsa? You know? I mean, come on. Well, my neighbors might not like me. You know, what's the worst thing they're going to do? They're going to drive by and frown? Give you a dirty look? Oh, man. That's going to leave a mark. But these are some of our fears. But in the church, the early church in Jerusalem, they had a very simple message. And they had a very deep conviction. Everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. Everybody. And the big question is, where are they going to spend it? See, the early church knew that. They understood that. That's why the resurrection was so significant. You don't have to be condemned. There's a way out. There's an opportunity. There's hope. And their message and their focus was eternal as a church. And we are so blessed here in the United States, we've lost our edge. And this isn't just our church, the Lighthouse Church. This is a lot of churches. Lost our edge. We've got to be politically correct in the way we talk and be very, very careful not to offend anyone. Think about that. And what's at stake if we don't say anything? And you know, living here in the United States, we don't need to feel guilty about the blessings. If God's blessed you, you don't need to feel guilty at all. But you need to be responsible. Because with blessings come a responsibility. Because we live in one of the richest countries in the world, because we live in one of the safest countries in the world, what do we need to do for our brothers and sisters in Mexico and in Central America? We need to help them out. And we also need to realize what a blessing that we get to live in a safe place. So we should take advantage of it, right? I can speak freely about my faith. It's in the Constitution. I have a right to share my faith. Wow, what a blessing. Do you know in the Middle East you can't do that? It's illegal to talk about any other religion besides the Muslim religion. You can't do it. You can't talk about religion at all in China. It's illegal. In Cuba, in North Korea, it's illegal. You can't do it. 
But here we are blessed. So today we're going to amp up our boldness. But we need some inspiration. And we need to look at the the history, you know, and and as we talk about it, we're going to look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5 today, and give you a little context. Things were heating up in Jerusalem at this time. Chapter 5. Thousands of people are streaming into the city of Jerusalem, partly because of their feast and partly because of the message. The apostles were given the power to heal people, literally. They were healing. Now, these healings had a purpose. And don't misunderstand, the same people that were healed eventually got sick and died anyway. Okay? There's nobody still walking around today that was healed in Jerusalem at that time. The healings had a a purpose. It wasn't like the Green Mile, you know, where they couldn't die because of the healing. No, it was nothing like that. The healings had a purpose. The purpose of the healings were to draw attention to the message. The message of salvation that Jesus brought and that the apostles were teaching. And so the Pharisees and the Jews were pretty upset about what was happening. And there was a very delicate balance of power in the city of Jerusalem. And the power was the Romans were in control. They had power over all of Palestine. And they bargained, the Jews had bargained peace with the Romans, a peaceful existence. They were going to let them keep the temple, let them worship. It was a political agreement that we're not going to stir things up. We don't like that you're here, but we're going to accept that you're here. And then the Romans said, well, we're not going to kill you. And we're not going to destroy your temple. And so it was a peaceful, but this, this Christian group came in, man, and they stirred things up. And it, it really created a stir and the, the power balance was in jeopardy. And so they were very concerned. There was danger. So where we're going to pick things up is in the, the book of Acts. And Acts is a historical book. And that's the thing about we're going to see in, in this book is that we're not reading a bedtime story. This is a historical account written by Luke, a doctor. And it gives great detail. And Christianity is not, uh, uh, you know, once upon a time and I had this vision and, and I got this insight from God directly. No, this is, his, this is history. And you're going to see how it is much bigger and much more powerful than any other message that's been passed down. And we're going to read that. So what they did because of this threat of the balance of power, they got all the apostles. First they started with Peter and John. And then the next time around, they got all of them. And they arrested them. Put them in the city jail. Overnight. And they were going to have a hearing the very next day. But during the night, an angel of God came, opened the jail, and turned them loose. The very next morning, they're back at it again, preaching the Word of God and teaching about the resurrection. And so we're going to pick it up there in that part and hear about what happened. Acts chapter 5, verse 27 and 28. The apostles were brought in. Now, they were set free by an angel. And then what the Scriptures tell is that when the next morning they looked in the jail, there was nobody there, and they heard that they were back at it again, preaching in the temple courts. And what you read there in verse 26 is that the guard of the Sanhedrin went in and they had to ask nicely because they were afraid that if they had tried to arrest them publicly, they would be stoned. 
Because there's literally thousands of followers right there listening to their message. So they go out to the apostles and say, hey guys, sorry to interrupt your service here, but could you please come with us? Please? Pretty please? And so the apostles agreed to let them arrest them. That's kind of how it went down. So they walk in and they get arrested. Verse 27, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were kind of like the lawyers of the Pharisees. They were the ones that defended the law and negotiated all these hearings. To be questioned by the high priest. The high priest was the the main guy. He was the judge. And they said to them, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Now, they wouldn't even say the name. Isn't that interesting? They didn't even want to say the name. Now, why is it today, 2011, people get a little... You can talk about religion, you can talk about God, but you can't say... It makes people feel uncomfortable if you say the... Don't say it. Jesus! And everybody gets all uncomfortable when you say the word, you say the name. That's how these guys were. They didn't want to say it. Even today, you offend people if you say the word Jesus. And so they go on. We told you not to teach in His name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Really? We're trying to make you guilty, Peter's like, hey, I was there at your house, Caiaphas. It just happened. It didn't happen years ago. It happened two months ago. I was at your house when you arrested him. I was at your house and I heard the whole thing. Yes. And look what Peter says. Peter replied, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The gospel of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed. And you could imagine him pointing the finger at the Jews. You killed him by hanging him on a cross. Oh boy. It's heating up now. And maybe some of the other apostles are like, Peter, easy, easy. Okay, these guys aren't playing anymore. Tone it down. Now Peter is on fire. And look what he said in verse 31. God exalted him to his own, to his, to his own right hand as prince and savior that, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, again, we're not talking about once upon a time. Peter is standing there. Listen, guys. This isn't some message. This isn't some teaching from out in the countryside. This happened. You crucified Him. You know He was raised from the dead. And you're trying to dumb it down. You're trying to squelch it. We can't. Why was the resurrection so significant? Because it means everything that Jesus was saying was true. It meant his whole ministry was true. They, they came to that conviction. This is of God. This is the eternal message. This is, what, this is the most important message of all time. That's what it meant. 
And it wasn't just the twelve apostles. There were hundreds of witnesses, eyewitnesses of Jesus' death. And they saw Him walk around in flesh and blood after His resurrection. And that's what makes Christianity so different. It's not one guy telling a story of a vision that he had. Christianity is about many witnesses. Anytime you take somebody to court, what do you need? And if you've got several witnesses, case closed. It's the truth. He's going to jail. It's done. Right? That's all you need. Why do we doubt? Why do we put a question mark on the message of Jesus when we've got eyewitnesses? We've got history. We've got people who were there. They were giving the testimony there and saying, this isn't some fantasy. This isn't some bedtime story we've been passing down. This is fact. This is truth. We saw it. We were witnesses. We were there. There was no way to stop them. And we need to see and have a conviction about what we follow. This isn't an insurance plan in case you get sick with cancer. And you got an out. Oh, I can go to heaven. I believe in Jesus. No, this is the real deal. And we need to talk and walk like we believe. This is it. This is the message. These were our brothers. And then this is what offended them. And so is the Holy Spirit. We're witnesses, but we got somebody here who's... And this is what offended him, whom God has given to those who obey. So basically what Peter's saying is, you don't have the Holy Spirit. We have it. And things got very heated here. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious. And they wanted to put all 12 of them to death. They basically said, enough is enough. We've heard enough from you guys. You're all going to die. We killed the head guy just two months ago. Now we're going to kill you. And then, thankfully, there was a guy, Gamaliel, and he said, hey, time out. Time out. Okay, Jews? Okay, Pharisees? Just a minute. Let's send these guys out. Let's have a talk here. And this is intense what goes on. Verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in front of the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Verse 35. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. And he's saying, think about it, guys. You kill these 12 men, what can happen? There can be an uprising that you have never imagined in this city. They've already got 10,000 followers. And look what he says. And he's, he's convincing them. Pretty smart guy. Some time ago, Thoutus appeared claiming to be somebody and had 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and his followers, his followers were dispersed. And it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in a revolt. He too was killed and his followers were scattered. Now, he's using logic and reason here. And it's true. The first guy we hear about, Thaddeus, he was someone you don't really know, but this guy here, Judas the Galilean, we know about him historically because he, he started a group called the Zealots from Galilee. 
One of Jesus' disciples was a zealot. But what's he saying here? If this is of human origin, it's going to die. One of the questions we've got to ask ourselves is, how is it that the message of Jesus made it out of the first century? How is it that to 2011 we're still talking about Jesus and that a third of the world's population believe there's a connection between God and Jesus? There's a reason. He goes on to share. Verse 38. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Verse 39. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against who? God. And what he's saying here, Gamaliel, is we can't stop them. Let the Romans do it. And if the Romans can't stop them, who can? Now understand, the Roman Empire was probably historically one of the strongest empires to ever exist. It was a huge empire. It was a powerful empire. Ever been to the, anybody ever been to the old city in Rome? What's... Leslie, what, what is in the city of Rome all over the place? Symbols. A religious symbol. All over the place. Crosses. Sorry. She was thinking over. Were there a lot of crosses in Rome? Interesting. There are crosses everywhere in Rome. Rome was the most powerful empire and then you go to this place that was their hub, their, their center. And there's crosses everywhere. And now it's considered one of the hubs of Christian belief. What does that tell you? Yeah, Christianity outlived the Roman Empire. I got news for you. Christianity will outlive all empires, all religions will not withstand. And there's a reason, because Gamaliel said it right here. If this is of human origin, it's going to go away. It's going to fade away. It's just going to be, you know, ah, yeah, it's just, it was in style. It was in vogue. We've had a lot of religions. People are into, into yoga now, you know. <laughs> They're into all kinds of weird stuff these days, Right? What, what's it going to be in 10 years? You know? What kind of, what kind of dress are you going to wear? I remember in the 70s, they had the, 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 the what was the, the group with the robes and the, 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 back in the Vietnam War? Harry Krishners. Oh, man. They, were, they come around with the little symbols. They go around, Hari Krishna, Hari, 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 Hari. Remember that? Older people do. What happened? What happened? And I'm not here, I'm not slamming anything. I'm not, that's not my purpose here. My purpose is just, let's look at the facts. Let's look at the reality. If it's of human origin, it's going to fade away. But if it's of God, and if a group of people will do what they did in the first century and have that kind of faithfulness to the teaching and to the faith, what will happen? No one, he's saying it, no one, nothing can stop it. In fact, if you try to stop it, it only gets stronger. One warning, though. 
What has stopped Christianity in our history? Is it what people do outside of the church? Or what people do inside? There comes a great responsibility. One of the things that really chokes out Christianity is fear and intimidation. And also division. When we don't come together in one faith, in one Lord, in one belief, we can eat ourselves up. And that stops Christianity. That hurts Christianity. But God always finds a remnant. He always finds a group of people that will come together again. They'll go back to this and they'll say, let's do this. Let's do it the way they did it. Let's believe it the way they believed it. And then a revival begins. And God works powerfully. We keep on reading. Verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and then they had them flogged. Now that word flogged carried a different meaning up until a few years ago, right? Remember the movie The Passion? They're going to show it a lot on TV here in about a week. What's a flogging? A flogging is a whipping with a a rod and leather strips. And on the end of those strips are ball bearings, pieces of metal, pieces of glass. And they literally bruise and rip your back. And the Jews had a practice. Forty lashes minus one. To whip and flog, all twelve of them took hours. Took all day, maybe. Imagine you're there and you're watching your brother getting ripped apart. And for the rest of their lives, they were going to have scars on their back. And those scars were a reminder that they were considered criminals. Every time they took a bath, every time they took off their shirt and changed clothes, there it was. A reminder of the price of their faith. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let him go. Now, here they are, beaten, torn to pieces in their back, losing blood, and they walk out. What would be your reaction? Okay, maybe we need to take some time off, a sabbatical of some kind. Maybe we need to slow down a little bit because I can't take another one of these beatings. I need to get better from this last one. Look at what they did. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What name? What name? Jesus! We're proud to suffer. I'm proud that I lost my job. I'm proud that I denied the, the, the bonus. The, I, I'm proud that I moved from one side of the country to the other side of the country because of Jesus. I'm proud of it. You see these scars on my back? I'm proud of it. I'm proud that I live in a dangerous place for the name of Jesus. And they rejoiced. We got to taste just a little bit of what it was like to suffer for Him. He suffered for me. I got to suffer for Him. He gave me everything. He gave me forgiveness. And now I get to give back something. And they were rejoicing that they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. 
And then look what happened. This is crazy. Look at this. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, it only got them more emboldened. Their faith only grew. They went from house to house and they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They didn't slow down. They heated up. You know, when we give in to fear and intimidation, how do you think our brothers feel back in the first century? When we come, become Americanized in our way of thinking and the way our talking and trying to be politically correct in everything, how do they feel? And, you know, boldness comes with one word. Faith. What's our theme for this year as a region? Anybody know? I what? I'm sorry. I'm, a, I'm, getting, I'm getting old. I believe. If you believe, then you'll be bold. They really believed the message. This was it. No one could silence them. Not even death and intimidation could silence them. If you say you believe in Jesus, how much? I had to ask myself this question. You can't walk around saying you believe in Jesus and then, I don't want to offend anybody. Listen, telling people that there's an option, there's a better way, that Jesus has answers to their problems and their needs in their life, that's offensive. Someone who's hurting in their marriage and in their family, that's offensive. Listen, He saved me. He helped me. He's given me hope. And they never stop preaching and teaching. And so today I want to begin, and we're going to close out with some baby steps. Right? Boldness baby steps. Now, I'm not going to go out and ask you to go, go preach in the street corners, okay? We're not talking about that. If you want to do that, you go ahead. I'm talking about boldness baby steps. Okay? It's all about starting, right? Okay, so here's the first boldness baby step number one. Bold is deciding to say something when it would be best to say nothing. Boldness is deciding to say something when it would be best to say nothing. Hey, look around. Just take a look around. Okay, go ahead. You can look around. How did everybody get here today? If you're visiting here with us today, how did you get here? Somebody said something. In fact, none of us would be here had not someone said something to us. Now, realize when they said something to us, they could have said nothing. But they said something. May have been your parents. May have been a neighbor. May have been a friend. May have been some old acquaintance. They said something. We're all here because somebody said something when they didn't have to. I want to encourage you to say something. Okay? You don't have to read the whole Bible to them. You don't have to preach the gospel. You don't have to be a scholar. Here's what you can say. God's changed my life. God's doing amazing things in my life. I'd love for you to come and hear the message. Hear about Jesus. And then baby step number two. Bold is taking advantage of opportunities that present themselves in your day. You know, we prayed a couple weeks ago for boldness, right? 
Paul asked for prayers, for boldness, and what else? Open doors. God's going to give us open doors. He's going to give us opportunities. It's up to us to walk through those doors. It's up to us to mention the name. Oh, but they're going to get offended. If I say something, they're going to get mad. No, they're not. They may say something, but they're not going to kill you. They're not going to murder you. They're not going to flog you. You know, nothing bad's going to happen. In fact, you've got the United States Constitution that defends you. It says you've got a right to say something about Jesus. You've got a right to believe what you believe and to talk about it publicly. Isn't that awesome? Baby step number three, and that's all we have. Baby step number three, bold is creating opportunities. We have opportunities all over the place. Your faith groups, right? Today, right here today, is an opportunity, right? We could have people come. And two weeks we've got Easter Sunday. You know, everybody goes to church on Easter Sunday. We're going to have a special mini-movie on Easter Sunday. You get to come to church and watch a movie like today. You know? You're saying, well, we're going to watch a movie. Not The Passion. Okay? Not the... It's another mini-movie. It's called Lift It Up. It's very inspirational. It's very powerful about how God has given us the opportunity to change our lives. Lift it up. He's lifting us up and giving us the opportunity. You know, and I want to lift up the teens because we've got some teens in the house. They've got these groups. They've got these groups called TBTs. And, and, you know, I didn't have a TBT on campus, at least that I was a part of as a high school student. And I don't know what I'd have done if I, you know. But I, I admire their courage. They've had up to 120 teenagers come to these TBTs in one week. You know, uh, they got it at South Hills, right? South Hills, Claremont High School. You know, uh, there's another one in, 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 uh, at, at Dave Moss's school. He's got, he's got one going on, TBT. Truth Be Told Bible Talks. And these kids invite their friends. And you know what else? They, they give Bible studies to their friends. The teens lead the Bible discussion. Man, you talk about manning up in your high school. That's an opportunity. But we need to seize that opportunity. And on campus, college campuses, we got Bible talks. Cal Poly, Mount Sac. You know, and, and, and many other campuses. Citrus, Citrus College, yeah, there we go. Don't leave me out. Citrus College. You know, but people are speaking up. There's opportunities. Your faith group is an opportunity for people to come and hear the message because they may not like the, the, this environment with the church and, and the singing and everything else. No, something smaller. And then they'll come to church. But I want to encourage you. Take advantage of the opportunities. You know, and if you're visiting here today and you say, well, this confirms that this is the very thing that I don't like about Christianity. Why can't people just be quiet about what they believe? I hate when people want to talk about to everybody and preach about what they believe. Don't worry. Most Christians don't say anything anyway. So you're pretty safe. In fact, if you're visiting here with us today, I'll bet you, you've got a bunch of undercover Christians that are all around your life. And they're not going to say one word to you about their faith. But all I'm saying for us as a church, 
Let's not follow that. Let's let people know. You don't have to be preachy. You don't have to be weird. You just share your heart. Okay? You just share your heart, what God has done, what He's doing, the hope that you have. But if you're visiting here with us today, hey, you're safe. Because there's all kinds of secret Christians and they're not going to say a word to you. But maybe if you change your life, and maybe if God helps you to find hope and faith, you never know. I was one of those people that sat in the pews and said, I think people talk to me about Christianity. Why can't they just be quiet? And look at me now. I mean, go figure. I'm a preacher. Doesn't make sense at all. That could be you. Faith can do amazing things when it's in you. Let's close out with this scripture. John chapter 3, verse 16. A very well-known scripture. But we're going to celebrate the communion now. And it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. See, God loved the world. He gave. He gave. He gave to you His Son. Not to the world. To you. He gave His Son. That's why the apostles were so bold. This message rocked their world. This message changed them. That they were willing to do anything. Go anywhere. Live in Monterey. Live in in, in Juarez. Last year, 3,100 people were murdered in Juarez. It is not is one of the most dangerous cities in the world. And we got brothers and sisters. They could leave. They're free to leave. They could move wherever they want in the Republic of Mexico. They are staying there. Why? Why would they stay there? Why would you stay there? Because they believe the city's lost. And this message needs to go out to the rest of the city. So whoever believes in him shall not perish. You don't have to die and suffer eternal consequences for all your sins. You can be forgiven. You can start over again and live a new life. Let's pray for the communion. Our Father God, in